We're going to be covering the, the class Defending Your Faith. Uh, it's a class that myself and some of the other men in the church are going to be teaching. Uh, so the ushers, they're handing out some, some notes. I'd encourage you to get those. And then if you're looking to say, where do we go in the Bible? Let's, we're going to end up, most of our time is going to be in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. But often when we hear the, when we hear the term apologetics, uh, people either get nervous or they're like, Apollo what? I've never heard of, heard of this. What's, what's happening? What is this uh, topic that, that you're covering? And that's why we simply put it defending your faith because at the heart and the core, apologetics is doing just that. It's, it's defending your faith. And uh, as, it was interesting as I was approaching some of the different men. Some of them were really excited. Others are like, I, I'm not, I, you don't want me. I, I can't teach that. Because there's this, this thought often that apologetics is simply for the very intellectual. Those who are extremely smart and astute. So there's only a handful of people that are really good at apologetics. Now, there are some really good apologists who are very brilliant. You know, you hear Ravi Zacharias. I mean, the guy is one of the best apologists I've ever heard. In fact, I, if you, there's a, he's got one recently that he did on, a, on homosexuality and apology uh, in regard to it. Uh, it's really, really good. You can find it on the internet. I'd, I'd uh, commend that to you as something to, to watch. There are Josh McDowell. You hear of him. He's a really good apologist. So there are some men who are very brilliant and are really good apologists. But that does not mean that, that we can't, can't be that person. I put on your, put on your paper there. I put a, put a little thought, something you think about. While sitting in the break room the other day, James and his coworkers began talking about God. Unfortunately, James' coworkers were attacking James, asking, why do you and your church think that God is the only way to heaven? James, quite nervous, thought for a moment, but really didn't know what to say. He knew that Carlos was a Catholic, Bob was a Buddhist, and Aaron and his wife said they were atheists. So you're in that situation for a moment. Just, just think about it. Write some things down maybe. How would you feel if your coworkers started to ask you those questions? Maybe some of you have been in that situation. What would you do? What would you say? What would, what would your base, or what would you base your answer on? Now, this is where, when we get into apologetics, do we, do we just look and say, well, I need to get into the philosophies of Buddhism, and I need to be able to deal with the logic of the atheist as opposed to his illogical statements? And, and there, are, there are dynamics where, yes, we, we may deal with some of that. But I would encourage you, what does the Bible say? Going back to the Word of God, because philosophy, logic, it can return void. But the Bible does not return void. So we want to, even in our apologetics, even in our defense of our faith, we need to continually be thinking about God's word. Because of James' nerves and fears, he shrugged his shoulder, grunted, I don't know, and walked away angry with himself because he couldn't give an answer for the answer that was inside of him. Am I the only one who's been there? You, you, you have this passion. You want to tell somebody and, and you're trying to figure out the words and they're attacking or they're, they're very confrontational and, and you feel like you don't know what to say and you sort of just cower back in fear and, and you sort of leave it there and like, all right, well, maybe the Lord will soften his heart and you walk away. And, and it just, it eats at you because you wanted to be able to give that answer. You wanted to be able to give that defense. And part of the whole process 
of, of apologetics is the fact that we can develop the abilities to defend our faith. We can share and we can have answers. So have you ever felt like James? I would say probably a number of us have probably been in a situation at some point. If you've been saved for a number of years to that point where you're like, okay, I, I've been there. I wish I had an answer, but I didn't know exactly what to say. So let's, let's take a step back. Let's look at this apolo, apologetics thing and say, what is apologetics? First Peter chapter 3. That's um, if there's a, a linchpin verse, if there's a main verse in the, in the scriptures, this is, this is going to be the one. In fact, this is where we get the term apologetics. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. The, the term apologetics, we, we get the idea from the Greek word apologia. It is not, it is not the idea of an apology tour. That's, that's what our president does when he goes to other countries. We're not looking and saying, oh, we're sorry to be Christians. We're not. We're not ashamed of that fact. We're not apologizing for anything. So, so we look at, when we look at apologetics, it's not that. It's not just philosophy. Because philosophy seeks to answer life's questions. It answers, where did I come from? Tries to answer, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? But when you get down to it, philosophy has no real definitive answers for any of those questions. Especially when you take our worldview systems where, where our world today looks and says, well, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And we're okay with not having absolute truth. We're okay with you thinking one thing, me thinking another thing, and it's all, it's all good. So you, how can you get a real definitive solution from just multiple different people having different opinions and all claiming that they're truth. You can't have two truth claims and both be true. If this one's true, then this one's false. If this one's true, then this one's false. They both can't be true. And so philosophy will give you ideas. It'll give you some, some general answers. But we need to be able to step back and say, wait, there is an absolute authority. There is a place that has the answers, and I need to be confident in those answers so that when I go to defend my faith, it's not just my logic, it's not just my reason, it's just not my ability to philosophize, it's the Word of God. And so apologetics is the ability to give an answer, to clear oneself of the charges, to defend oneself in a court of law. That's what's being said in, in verse 15, where it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always, here's the word, apologia, to give an answer. There is somebody who is accusing, somebody who is attacking, and you are going to def um, defend, excuse me. You're in a court of law, and, and the one side comes and says, no, this is what, and you, it's your turn as the lawyer to stand up and argue your case and say, no, this is what the Bible says. And so that is the idea of to, to clear oneself, to defend oneself. The attacks are hurled against you. Um, so someone looks and they, they look and they, they tell you, you know, you, you just, you know, from one end, you, we can get accused of being, you know, polytheists. You guys believe in many gods. No, we don't. We believe in one God. So now I have to be able to defend the, the Trinity. 
Good luck. Um, no, you can do it, but you just, you take the time and you have to be able to explain that and, and talk with people about it. And from another end, you guys, you guys believe that there's only one way to heaven. How could you do that? Why would you even say that there's only, look at all these people around the world. There's good people in India. There's good people in the Asian area. They don't believe in this Jesus. How can you say that? Because that's what the word of God says. The Bible says Jesus is the only way. That Jesus Christ came and died for humanity. And and he offers salvation to all. We have to be able to go back and to the scriptures and say this is what the Bible says. Apologetics uh, is the application of biblical truth to the concerns of the present day. Pastor Travis, can you do me a favor? Can you go get me two AAA batteries? Thank you. This thing is slowly dying. It's... On its last breath. Uh, apologetics, sometimes when you pick up an apologetics book, typically speaking, it's going to look and say, okay, let's talk about the existence of God. Let's talk about the historicity of Jesus Christ. Is he a historical figure? Let's talk about miracles. Let's talk about, and those are actually most of the topics we're going to start talking about in our class because that's the, the foundation. But you have to be able to give a defense about the concerns of today. So, so we have to be able to, as believers, create a defense personally when someone looks at you and says, you're a bigot. How dare you get on the bandwagon and be anti-homosexual? How, how could you dare stand up and be against this whole transgender issue? Well, I don't like it. You know what? If that's the only reason, guess what? Your, your reason stinks. Because you don't like it, someone else may like it. That, that has no weight in a defense. Just because you have a preference on something and somebody else has a different preference, that, that's nothing. That's not a defense according to the Word of God. You have to be able to go back to the Word of God and say, this is why I believe that homosexuality is a sin. Because here's what the Bible says in Romans. Here's what the Bible said in Deuteronomy. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. And going back to those passages and laying it out because it's the word of God that is that final authority. Not my philosophy, not my logic. I could be very logical and I could come up with all these logical reasons. But I have to have a ground and a source of truth. So it's taking the truth of the Bible and applying it to the concerns of our everyday present state. Apologetics is also this. It's basically giving a defense of the Christian faith against those who claim it is false. Those who will claim and say there's no, there's no absolute truth. Those who will look and say, well, you, you can't. And you have to be able to, to defend it and to, to do that. Thank you. I'm going to take a little break here. Thank you, sir. But looking and saying, okay, how do, how do I defend? How do I defend those people? And, and honestly, you get to this point, and it, it gets a little intimidating. Because you start worrying, and, and I do. What are they going to say? How many different approaches can they take at me? I, how, do I, how can I learn? How can I learn all the different world religions and all the things that they believe? And then what about all the people who aren't even religious and all the things that they believe? And now I have to learn about all the philosophy and all the things that that are there in philosophy. And, And what about logic? And all these people are really logical. And I'm not very logical all the time. And you start looking at all these different things and you become very overwhelmed. But the passage doesn't tell us 
to learn all those things. It tells us to learn, to, to be ready always to give an answer of the man that asks you of a reason of hope with meekness of fear. It's telling us we need to learn the truth. We need to know the truth and share the truth. It's not about, it's not about me learning about every single world religion. It's about me understanding what the true religion of Jesus Christ, the true relationship with him says. What does the word of God say? We need to become students of this book first and foremost. When we're students of this, then we begin to see the errors of other ways. Then we're able to, when someone says, well, what about this? You can say, well, wait, the Bible says this. And going back continually to this. And too many times we get ourselves into all of these debates and we never even get to the scriptures. And the scriptures are what is where the authority is. So we need to be students of the book. We really, we really need to be into it. So who, who is an apologist? You know, is it only those really smart people? No. It's all of us. All of us who have, as the verse says, the hope that is in you. If you have this hope, if you are saved, then you are to be, to be prepared to make it, <clears throat> excuse me, make a defense of the Christian faith. It is, it's for all of us, which means that there's going to have to be time. There's going to have to be study to prepare ourselves, to equip ourselves, to know the truths, know the foundational uh, theologies of the Bible, to know what is, what is happening. It's not just for the intellectual. It's, it's for all of us. In fact, it's going to help us greatly because you remember 2 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're doing that, if we're growing in God's grace and we're growing in the knowledge of him, it's going to increase our abilities to defend, defend our faith. So what, is, what does the Bible say about defending our faith? Let's look through a couple passages. Isaiah 1, uh, verse 18. Isaiah, the, the Lord is speaking to Isaiah and he says, come, let us, let us reason let us reason together. The idea of reason here is the, the idea that the Lord is, is calling his people to bring their disagreements to him. In fact, in the passage there, uh, it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Even though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Even though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool as wool. It's, they're looking and saying, but I'm this. He says, I'll take care of that. But I'm, I have this. I'll take care of it. If you be willing... And obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He, he looks, the Lord looks and says, hey, come, bring, bring your arguments, bring your, bring your problems, bring your discussions to me. Let's reason together. Let's have this conversation. But he's still going to bring it back to this idea that it's, it's you have a decision to make. Are you going to continue in your rebellion against God? Or are you going to come to the point where you submit and you obey his, his words and his ways? One receives blessing. One is going to receive other consequences. In our apologetics, and we'll, we'll, the, the purpose, uh, I don't know if I put it on, I did. The purpose of apologetics is the salvation of souls and not the winning of an argument. We have to, we have to understand that. It is not about, <laughs> got it. Pinned you to a corner, checkmate, I win. Now you need to get saved. Well, that's, not, that's not where it's driving at. Our focus, whenever I'm having a debate, whenever I'm having a discussion with somebody, whenever I'm sharing the gospel and they raise objections, 
They raise questions. That's now I'm shifting into apologetics mode. I'm going to defend. I'm going to say, here's what the Bible says. But it's still with the ultimate end game of seeing them saved. I want to get to that point where I'm presenting the gospel. And the passage in Second Peter, when we get there in a few moments, is going to highlight the fact that if I don't do this correctly, I'm going to lose that opportunity to share the gospel. I may win the argument. I may be the one who comes out on top. But if I've lost my platform to share the gospel because of my attitude, because of the way I have approached, because of my, my anger, have I really accomplished what is being driven at with apologetics? To share, to share the gospel. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we should not be passionate about topics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand strong against sin. Not saying that. But we do need to be cautious on how and the way in which we go about our, our uh, talking of the, of the scriptures. First uh, Peter, back in First Peter, we were there. Uh, Peter, notice this. What does the Bible say about defending our faith? Peter is going to command it. He says, you be ready always. That is a command. You are to be ready to do this. It's not an option. It's not, it's not something where only a few... Only those with seminary degrees, only those who've been to Bible college, they're the only ones who need to be ready. No, we are all to be ready to give an answer. This also means that our faith, if God is telling us to be ready to give an answer of the hope that is in you, of the faith that you have, that means that our faith, it's defensible. Our faith is defensible. We don't have this illogical faith that's just a leap in the dark and and nobody has an answer to it. We can take the scriptures and we can defend and we can talk about what the Bible says. And the Bible has answers to all of these, all of life's issues. And maybe that's where we need to step back for some of us and really come to grips with that. That the word of God is supreme. That there is a supremacy involved in it that says this is God's answer. That all of this is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for every part of life. That it is good for us. So to look and say, well, yeah, I, I know that, Pastor. I, I, get, I get the idea that the Bible is, is sufficient. But, man, some of these topics we deal with, we, how, do we, how do we, this whole new topic of, you know, the hot topic right now is this whole transgender issue. The Bible, they, they never had to deal with those things in the Bible. Yeah, they did. Those things were still present. You know, the, the Bible talks about, you know, those, those men who were acting in the effeminate sense. The Bible talks about those who were, who were giving up the unnatural for the natural for the unnatural and, and women laying with women and men with men. It talks about that. You can't look and say, well, these, these issues are too complex. We need, to, we need to transcend Scripture and just be logical about this. Logic does not supersede Scripture. In all things, Scripture supersedes. So I have to be convinced according to Scripture. And the Bible and our faith, it is defensible. Everything we believe, you can and should be able to defend it from Scripture. Here's another important aspect. We are not responsible to persuade. We are called to be able to give a good witness. And I think, unfortunately, too many times people are like, I'm not, I'm not real good at, at getting into these debates and people give me going in circles and, and I'm not good at bringing it to an end and persuading people. You're not called to do that. You are called to give an answer, to give a defense. 
to be able to share of the hope that is in you. Now, for some, that's going to be more simple than for others. Some of you in this room have great, great intellectual abilities, great debate abilities. You have the ability to, to really quickly rationalize on your feet. Others of us, it takes a few minutes to process. We're sitting there and we're listening. And we're like, that's a really good question. Hmm. Uh, this, is, this is me. I, I tend to have to think for a little bit. I'm not, I'm not good right away. I work, I work for a man who, bam, 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 bam. So he'll ask me a question. He'll be like, and I'm like, hmm. And he's tapping his foot and he's like, come on, come on. You should know this. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I do. Just let me, let me think about it. And then it'll come out and be like, thank you. It was like agonizing from the, for, no, it's, it, we're all like that. We're all different in different ways and that's okay. But that does not excuse us from being able to present and give a defense of the hope that is within us. We have to be able to, and we are commanded to, which means that you can do this. God is not going to command you to do something, to be ready to give an answer if he doesn't believe you can do it. He's not going to call you to do something you cannot do. So you have to be developing that, that ability. In fact, uh, Jude chapter 3 or chapter, verse 3, excuse me. It says, It's needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude, Jude is, is writing and he's saying, contend, you need to wrestle, you need to earnestly agonize. It's the strain that is involved in the wrestling match. And there are times when you're sharing your faith and people start asking you questions it gets agonizing. You're, you're straining. You're like, oh, I wish I had a quicker answer. I wish I had a better answer. And it's, it's, it's driving you, you, you bonkers because you, you don't know what to say at that moment. That's okay. You look and say, you know what? That's a really great question. Let me get back to you on that. Because I know I might not have an answer right at this moment, but I know the Bible does. And let me get back to you on it. It gives you another door to come back and talk about the same topic. But you look and say, okay, I need to agonize to wrestle. This faith, it's been entrusted to us. This is something we need to continually pass down to our next generations of believers and understanding that the faith that has been entrusted to us is now being entrusted to them as well. And they need to be able to defend the faith. They need to be able to share and to, to articulate and, and take that time to, to present and say, here's, here's what the word of God says. Now notice at the, at the very end of the passage, it says, which was once delivered unto the saints. The idea here is not that I gave it a long time ago, but the, the idea is that the faith, it was laid out, it has been given, it cannot be changed, it is not negotiable. And when you get into the topic of apologetics, sometimes, and there are some who will look and say, okay, let's, let's set the Bible aside for a little bit. And let's just talk, and let's, let's assume that this wasn't true about Jesus Christ. Sorry, I can't do that. I'm not, it's not negotiable. Jesus Christ is a historical figure who came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. That is not negotiable. That's not even something that I sit and lay aside and say, well, you know, let's assume that that really didn't happen for the sake of argument. It, it doesn't happen. It's not the faith that we contend for is not 
non-negotiable. It doesn't, it doesn't change. And Jude highlights it. It's once delivered unto the saints. There's, there's not a middle ground on it. There is simply the truth that God establishes. So let's be honest. It seems difficult. And why should I consider, why should you consider, why should we consider taking part in this? And this, this whole process of defending our faith. And we look at the passage here back in First Peter. He highlights the fact that even if you're ridiculed and mocked, you will be blessed. Uh, I got ahead of myself there. Uh, if you suffer, but if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you or blessed are you. He highlights that we are going to face some difficulties. In fact, there's going to be times that we're going to try our best and we're going to do our best to present that defense and we're still going to be mocked and we're still going to be ridiculed. It happened often when I was in college. We started a ministry at the University of Wisconsin called State Street Ministry. It was State Street's the main, main street that runs through the campus of University of Wisconsin. And we would go down there and we, we would be talking. Often we'd either get into conversations with professors who were atheists or students who were at best agnostic. They, yeah, there might be a God, but not really sure. And we'd get into all these conversations and we'd be talking, we'd be talking. And by the end, and they, they'd take up an hour of our time and we're going through and trying to persuade and present and do all of this. And they'd look and they'd say, huh, that's nice, but you know what? You're just, it's your crutch. And and they would walk away sort of scoffing, laughing. You know what? That's all I can do. I can't can't get torn up. I I can be torn over their souls that they're rejecting and that they're foolishly rejecting God. But I can't get angry. Oh, you're an idiot. You know, what does that, what good does that do to me? It doesn't. It's just going to irk me and going to drive me nuts more. All I can do is present a clear defense of the gospel. He says, don't be afraid of their terror. Don't be troubled. He's highlighting the fact that, guess what? When you're defending your faith, guess what's going to come? Terror, trouble, fear. There's difficulties. It's going to be hard at times. But that is not a reason that we shrink back in fear. We can't look back and say, I'm not ready. We are told to be ready. You be ready to share the gospel. Always ready, presenting that defense of the gospel. But I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Well, you're not alone. You're like most of us in this room. Now, some of you are, man, you're ready. You're, you're ready and rearing all the time. And, and I commend you for that. Some of you have that ability. You have that, that personality that you don't mind conflict. You don't mind it. You're going to tell a person the way it is and, and you're good. Majority of us probably aren't like that. We look and we're like, all right, Lord, give me the strength here. Here we go. And, and we look at it. Well, we look at the, the defense. We are to depend on our own strength. It would be folly. This is not, this is not my battle. In fact, 1 Samuel 17, I'd encourage you, let's, let's go over to 1 Samuel 17. You might look and say, well, wait, wait, wait. We're going to go to David and Goliath, and we're going to talk about apologetics and defending the faith. I, okay. Where are you going, Pastor? It's going off the deep end here. Okay, I'm not. Really, I'm not. And it's not, it's not a passage that is talking about the defense of the Christian faith because Christ wasn't, you know, it, it's, not, it's not what it is. But by way of illustration, I want, I want us to think in a bigger picture here of, of what is happening. David understood that the battle is large. 
He, he got that. That it was, it was big. But he also very clearly says in the passage, the battle belongs to the Lord. And when we look at it, we need to understand that David saw the battle belongs to the Lord. But Saul, on the other hand, was allowing the visible, the things that he could see, to overshadow the power of the invisible. Saul looked at Goliath, so did most of Israel, and they cowered in fear. They said, no, we can't do this. It's too much. He's too big. He's overwhelming. He's too powerful. Do we often look the same way in our Christian faith? The world, it's too, there's too much of the world out there anymore. It's too powerful. Their, their influence is too great. They have media. They have celebrities. They have all these talking heads. There's just, there's too, there's too much out there. I can't do it. There's, there's no way we can. And we allow the visible things that we see to impact our invisible God. We, we, we can't see God, but we, we know, as David says, the battle belongs to the Lord. And I would submit that the same thing is true when we're talking about the defense of our faith. God has chosen to use us, just like this simple shepherd boy with a couple of sling, uh, sling and a couple stones, who was willingly saying, I will go and trust in the invisible, all-powerful God. When we go forward into the world to uh, share the gospel, to defend our faith, Someone is attacking, they're mocking, they're ridiculing, they're making gestures against Christianity. And you look and say, I don't have a whole lot, but I have a God who's big and who's called me to defend my faith. And I go with what I have and I share what I know. Do you believe that God can use that? I do. I believe that God can use anybody in this room with the this, this simplicity of the gospel, the simple thing. You might say, oh, I've only been saved for a couple weeks. God can still use that because the battle is his. The battle is not mine. It is not my responsibility to persuade. It is my responsibility to defend and to share and present the, the truths of the scripture. So what can we learn from David? David knew the battle was not about him. Rather, he was concerned about the glory of God. He looked, he looked in verse 46. He says, this day, he's talking to Goliath. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will smite you and take thy head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the ho- to the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He's looking, he's, he's highlighting the, the greatness of God. He's like, I want, I want you to know that there is, there is a God out there, and you are going to know him. You're going to realize that he is more powerful than you. And he wasn't, it wasn't about, I come to you with, you know, sword and spear. No, he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He's, he's understanding that it's not about him. And when we, go into, when we go into battle, when we go into sharing our faith and we're rejected, understand, yes, there, there's an aspect where we're being rejected. But they're rejecting God. They're rejecting Christ. That's what, that's what breaks our heart. Not the fact that, oh, I'm a failure, I'm a fool. The only way you're a failure in evangelism is if you never do it. You, you, you go out and you, you share and you do your best to present. And someone looks and says, no, I don't want that. Oh, I failed. No, you have not. You have not failed. You have done what God has asked you to do, to present 
the truth. David goes on and he says that he had purpose in his battle. He said, verse 40, uh, 40 I think it's 46, not 47 there. Uh, yeah, the end of verse 46. He says, I want you to know. He's, he says, why am, I, why am I going into battle? Because I want the world to know that there is a God in Israel. Why do we go into battle? Because we want the world to know that there is a real God. And that he loves us and he cares for us and he cares for this world. There is a God in this world. There isn't a, a, a no God. There isn't, there isn't an, you know, nothing out there. There is a God. That's why we want to share. Why else does he say it? He says, so that people would see that the Lord saves. Verse 47, he highlights, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves. Now he's going to give some more qualifiers of how the Lord saves, but the, the, the initial concept is that the Lord saves. Why do we go into battle? Because we want people to know that the Lord saves, that they need to be saved, that there is a, an issue in their life, that there is a present sin condition that all humanity has, and they need to hear about the salvation of their souls. That's why we should be going into battle. He highlights the, the fact that he says that the, the world, um, the Lord saves not with the weapons of this world. He says the Lord doesn't save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. Everybody else is looking at the power and the might of this, this giant. And David says, it's not about sword and spear. I'm going to use this little rock to kill you. Just, just this pebble. It's all I got. The smooth stone that I'm going I'm to chuck up at you. And too many times when we get into apologetics, we want to we wanna get into all the, the, the weapons of the world. The logic. The philosophy. The, the, the rational thinking. And let's, let's really get into the, I mean, we're going to talk about it in our class at one, one of the days when we talk about the, in, the existence of God. But the whole, the whole I, if I look at most of you and say, let's talk about the, the cosmological, the ontological, the, uh, oh, I just forgot the other two. Scott, help me out. Teleological, thank you. Um, all, the different, all the different ways. And you're going to look and go, for, to prove the existence of God, you're going to go, the what, what, and what? Okay, God exists. Now, we're going we're gonna to take it beyond that and also say, okay, here's what the, how the Bible, how to use the Bible to show that God exists. But we can't just use just one aspect of philosophy. The, the world uses that. That's a, that's a weapon of the world. They want to use their vain deceits and imaginations and getting you thinking philosophically. Now, that is not saying that logic and philosophy are bad because you remember Matthew chapter 12? Jesus is talking, and they say, you're casting out the demons in the name of Beelzebub. Now, Jesus uses both logic and scriptures to defend them. He says, really? I'm going to come in the name of Beelzebub and, and go against my own self? You know, a house divided again. It doesn't work that way. He's using logic, but then he starts quoting Isaiah. And so as believers, we have to be able to use a little bit of both. We have to, to be able to be able to think a little bit, but we really need to be taking them back to the scriptures because the scriptures are a weapon that the world does not use. They can't use it. And it is our greatest sword. The, we look and we, we use it and we defend ourselves with it and we present the truths of scripture when sharing the gospel and when defending our faith. Don't get caught up in just trying to be philosoph philosophical or logical. Also bringing people back to uh, the scriptures uh, clearly. Uh, another thing that David says, why? Why? Because David had faith. What do we learn from David? Had faith in God during the battle. 
David had faith in God during the battle. It's not just looking and saying, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can go out and do this. Do you remember what Paul even said in Ephesians chapter 6? And pray for me that I might have boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. He's asking God, God, give me strength. Give me boldness. Give me the words. Give me help here. This is not just about my abilities. This is about God and his working in and through me to share and to be a channel of blessing and of the gospel to, to other people. So how can I prepare for this battle? Back to our, our main passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. He, he highlights a couple, Peter highlights a couple aspects. He says, first, I need to, when I'm defending my faith or defending our beliefs, we must do so with the right attitude. Notice he said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Uh, the, word, the word that's used there is to, to literally set apart Christ as Lord, is the way the, um, the, the Greek reads there. And it's, uh, sorry, there we are. Uh, it, it looks and says, but sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your heart. You, you need to develop a right attitude toward Christ. To look and say, okay, Christ is Lord, nothing changes that. He is the one. Now, I need to look, and when I go forward into battle, when I go forward to sharing my faith, when I go forward to defending it, Christ is Christ. That is who he is, and I am not going to negotiate on that. I'm not going to change, and I'm going to, to set him apart. I'm going to be convinced that he is Lord of my life, that I am going to live my life in such a way that it resembles that, that it reflects that, and in all aspects, he is to, to, to be set apart. We look at, there's um, some other passages of scripture I wrote down there. I didn't put them on the screen. But uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with uh, plausible arguments. It's Colossians 2, that's ESV there. But are you convinced that in Christ all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge exist? Or do you look and say, well, when we get into the issue of science and evolution and creation, I, you know, it's, it's much easier just to deal with science than it is to bring Christ into it. Because Christ is sort of the religious, this is science. No, 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 no. Christ is the source of all knowledge. And we must go back to who Christ is. Because the end game, again, is not just winning an argument. It is being able to take somebody who's skeptical. It is being taking somebody who is, who is questioning or, or is wondering about, about your faith. And being able to not just present them with logical truths, but to be able to use that to channel them to Jesus Christ. To look and say, this is who Christ is. And he is the foundation. Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do we, do we really believe that knowledge begins with God and with, with Christ? We are to set him apart, that, that in him is truth, that Jesus Christ, I'm the way, the truth. It's not just Jesus saying, I'm a true statement here. He's looking and saying, I am the epitome of truth. I am the, the beginning, the foundation, the, the structure of it. So in everything you do, whenever you're sharing, point it back to me. I am truth. You can find answers in truth through me and through my word. Sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. We're coming back to Christ and to his word. So in all of our apologetics, in all of our defenses, don't, don't just, sorry, Nate, I just saw you. Don't trip into lawyer mode. 
okay? You, you can't just look and say, I got to just give this, this legal brief. I need to be able to take the truth, take the person back to the truth of the word of God. Not just giving just some, some logical or philosophical answers. I also need to, according to the passage, when defending our beliefs, we must do so with the right attitude. And without getting off on a huge rabbit trail, this is something in our circles we need to work on. Having the proper attitude. Look in verse 15. It is not about who can scream the loudest, who can shout the loudest, who can be the most passionate or angry at times. Look at, look at what it says in verse 16. Uh, or at the end of verse 15, sorry. To everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you, how are you to give this answer? With meekness, with fear. In other words, we're to do it with uh, gentleness, with humility. Because it's not about me being right. It's about bringing a person to Christ. And if I can just, you know, um, we'll, we'll go back to the same illustration that we've been using. I can't believe, I cannot believe you would just be this abomination to God in your homosexual lifestyle. What's the matter? You may look and go, well, people don't talk. Yes, they do. It's not wise. Do I find an abomination before the Lord? Yes, that's what the Bible calls it. But I still have a responsibility to be presenting the truth with respect. Every person you face, every person you talk to is an individual made in the image of God. And because of that, they deserve your respect. You are to treat them kindly. Now, there comes a point where a fool, you know, and you don't cast your pearls before swine. That's something we get into later on when dealing with difficulties and challenges and apologetics. But when you are talking with a person and they become antagonistic, that soft answer turns away wrath. But your grievous words... They stir up more strength. Well, no, no, Pastor, don't you understand? You've got to meet force with force. Show me where Peter says that in that verse. He doesn't say you meet with equal, you, you, come, you come passionate, but you do it with gentleness, with respect, with humility. It's not my way. Let me tell you what Christ says. I, I, I realize that you're, you're saying you want to do this, but let's look what the Bible says. Let's go to Romans chapter one. Would you do that with me? And we're not doing that now. Sorry, I'm just play acting. Um, and you're, you're looking and say, would, would you go with Romans, Romans chapter one and look what it says where you, people deny the truth and they suppress God and the knowledge of God that is in every one of us. And they push that away to the point where God allows them to begin to enact on their passions. And, and they, you go forward and, and you start walking them through the scriptures. Say, you know, you know, you can be mad at me all you want, but this is an issue between you and God. And you do this with gentleness and with respect and with humility when you're, when you're going to present. There's a fundamental difference. I, I read a, a, an article this week. It said the fundamental difference between the offensiveness of the proud and the offensiveness of the humble. The proud often to exalt or defend themselves and control or manipulate others. Um, the, the proud offend, sorry, to, to exalt or defend themselves and control or manipulate others. The humble offend in order to advance the truth for the glory of God and the ultimate good of others. Humble offensiveness may not be popular, but it is always loving. I am going to offend people when I give a defense 
on God, when I give a defense on lifestyles in, in this world today, it is going to be offensive. But that does not mean that I need to be offensive in the way that I present the truth. I still need to do it with respect. I, I can still be passionate. I can still be firm. But I can't, I can't be a jerk about it. Because if I'm a jerk about it, I've taken away the bridge to now be able to present them the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. So I need to do with gentleness, with respect, with humility, respect for the other person, uh, for the other person so that he does not feel demeaned by your defense of Christ is imperative. We must do it with gentleness, with respect. Unfortunately, too many, too many people become keyboard warriors. You know, ooh, the internet tough guy. You look and go, oh yeah, you can get behind on your keyboard. And I see this on Facebook. I see it on other social media sites. I see it on blogs where some of the posts are really, they're really mean. They're really, and, and I, I get, we're, we're frustrated. I, I get it. We're frustrated with the direction America is going, right? No? Yes? Probably? I, I understand that. But no matter what happens in Capitol Hill, guess what? God's still on the throne. And no matter what happens with, with law and legislation, I still have a responsibility to, no matter what laws come across, I still have a biblical imperative to be sharing and defending my faith. I have to get to the point where I'm, where I'm doing this. And the truth of the matter is, it's told that we are to give a defense. Inherent in the idea of a defense is that when I am attacked, it's not me seeking and going and looking, who can I attack? Let me, all right, we're going to hunt down these atheists here and we're going we're gonna to get them. That's not what the passage says. It says when you are out in your day and you're going through and you're, you're talking to people and now a defense, you're, you're being attacked by somebody you're sharing the gospel with. And now this comes and you need to present a defense to them. You should be ready. It is not being that keyboard warrior and you think you're doing the world's greatest evangelism because you just sit behind a keyboard and all you do all day is just ship off these articles from all these different sites and you just keep flooding the internet. And do you ever read the comments below? I know some of them you can't because you got to filter them with, with your... It just infuriates. And you're like, well, see, there it is. The humble offensiveness, the, the, you know, I'm going I'm to win this argument. No, it's how do I get to that point where I can present Jesus Christ and clearly go through it? So, so be careful that you're not just out there looking to, to, to make an argument, but you should be ready to defend your faith when you're there. You're, you're sharing and having... Let your, uh, let your life claim, let your life match your claims of a Savior who can deliver a person from sin. To me, I, I believe this is one of the biggest reasons that Christians don't deal with evangelism and they don't deal with apologetics. Because we look at our lives and we are afraid to have mud thrown back in our face. Because our life does not match the claim that we are setting up. And we know inherently that that's not logical. And we know that that's hypocritical. And we're saying, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set him apart as Lord. 
He is, he is God, and he is Lord, and he can change your life. No, don't look at my life. I know, yeah, I, I deal with my anger issues over here, and I know that I was immoral here, and I know that you see me treat my wife this way over here, and you see all these different aspects of my life, but you need Jesus Christ. He can change your life. And our life claim, verse 16, having a good conscience, that when they speak evil against you, it doesn't stick. That they're ashamed uh, that falsely accuse you of your good conversation, of your, your, your good conversation in Christ. Apologetics, witnessing, all aspects of evangelism. It starts with this idea of setting apart Christ as Lord. Of us as believers looking and saying, wait, if I need to be able to present Jesus Christ and I need to be able to clearly do that and I don't want people to be arguing with me over my life, guess what? My life, I need to be working at it. And when I sin, I need to deal with sin quickly and I need to apply myself to diligent spiritual growth. Yes, that's gonna take time, but maybe I should read a book this week you know, for, for an hour every night instead of spending an extra hour each night you know, binge watching whatever your newest thing on Netflix is to binge watch. And you're like, okay, I need to develop Christian habits that are going to help me grow so that I can better defend the faith. That I live every moment in the presence of Christ. I know some look and say, you can't do that. You'd be walking around and... Aren't we called to be holy in all manners of conversation? Aren't we told to be living that way? To be living as if the person who you are trying to win to Christ is watching all the time. So that when you do have those opportunities, you have a good conscience. You feel right before the Lord and before that person to present the holy God who condemns people of sin, who is just and will condemn people to hell, but who loves them and loves us and willingly sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That through his grace, He reaches down and catches the needy. Are we willing to do that? That that comes back to our lifestyle. To do what the the Bible tells us to do. So practically we do some of those things. We need to just a fourth observation thing to, to establish here when we get into apologetics. Commit to studying how to answer those who question our faith. And that's what we're going to be doing in our class. You know, it's sort of like a promo. If you really want to come over, come on over. If you don't, I understand. The pews are much cushier here. Then he'll get over in the folding chairs. But uh, we're going to talk about the existence of God. Is there a God? How do we know? Is there really, uh, is Jesus real? Did he really die? Did he really raise again? How do we know that? How can we prove that? How can we share that through the, through the Bible? How do we know about miracles? Did they really work? Did they, did they really happen? Or is it just, you know, conjuring of imaginations? You know, are there, is there proof? What about the word of God? Is the Bible reliable? Can we trust it? Is it our authority? All those dynamics that we need to be grounded in and we should be working ground and grounding ourselves in to defend our faith. There's a, there's a statement I have there. Apologetics is essential to our Christian life, and it is required of every Christian. Even if you don't take our class, that's fine. But you're still responsible to be an apologist. Not to say I'm sorry, but to look and defend the faith. Unfortunately, it's become a hobby for intellectuals. This is something we leave to some smart people. Though. You know, we'll bring him to Pastor Burgraff. Pastor Burgraff can defend the faith better than I ever could. There may be truth that he can, he can rattle off stuff, but you're still called to defend the faith because it's something of life and death significance. We defend the faith because people are dying and going to hell. 
and they have questions. They are inquiring. People want to know what's going to happen when I die. And we have the answer. So let's look for opportunities this week to go out and to share that.